0: My name is Eric Hunley, and this is Unstructured, where we have dynamic and formal conversations with some amazing people. Today, we're joined by Dave Freeze. Now, this is a fun day. It's only taken about a year and a half to come to fruition, but Dave, how are you doing today?
1: Well, I'm doing good. You make me sound like I was playing hard to get. Well, well, maybe you were, man. I don't know. (laughs) I do lead a busy life and I'm often in hiding. So thanks for being so persistent because I have loved my prior uh, appearances and chances to talk to you. Loved them. Well,
0: excellent. And I'm actually releasing the last one we did. I waited to release it because I feel like it was leading into this conversation. And we were talking about the Zygarnik effect, but I think the Zygarnik effect should be held within a year.
1: <laughs> yes. Something like next week, not no. Not <laughs> Hopefully, we've held everybody's attention. Yeah, not not, not post COVID,
0: <laughs> exactly. Now, what we are actually leading up into is tactical persuasion fo- force multipliers, right? Mm-hmm. But you want to set the table ahead of time because, well, if you're going to use a multiplier, you have to have something to multiply. So I'm guessing you want to set a baseline with mindset.
1: Yes. So here's the thing is, if I just teach people, this is my discovery, if I just teach people the little tricks, the linguistic patterns, like we're going to go over, you and I had said, we could probably teach 10 of these that could be transformational if people just got good at a couple of them. Um, but how you use them and how effectively you use them is largely a function of your mindset about communication. So I thought if we could take a couple of minutes here at the start and talk about mindset aspects that are common to great persuaders and influencers and communicators and leaders that I've observed through time, that would be helpful because it'll help people to use the little tricks and the techniques and um, in conjunction with the bigger, higher level principles and mindset ideas. You're just better, uh, you're, and, and you're also better at virtually everything. If you get this, if you pick a couple of these mindset tools and you focus on them and you pick a couple of these techniques and you become really good at them, you're better as a father or a parent, you're better as a spouse or a partner or a lover, you're better as a negotiator or whatever you do. You're better at it when you have these force multipliers at your disposal. So if, if you will uh, afford me the ability, I'll talk a little bit about some of the te- these sort of higher level thinking things that are common to great persuaders and communicators.
0: Now, real quickly, though, your background. I know that we've discussed it before. You were first trained as a kid by Dr. Frank Husted, who was one of Milton Erickson's small cadre of students.
1: Yes. And who used to see you always scare me with these things that you pull out of the past. But he used to see patients in Milton Erickson's practice. And for those that don't know, Milton was kind of the father of modern medical hypnosis and uh, the hypnotic language patterns, some of which you'll hear today, are really good at getting people to shift in therapy their view of a particular thing, or their perspective, or to be more open to change. And so these, uh, a lot of what I'm going to teach you today, sort of uh, are derived from these teachings of Milton Erickson. And, and as you say, I was taught uh, from a very young age how to use these.
0: Okay, and from there, you picked up some more knowledge, I guess, in, we'll call them the Day Freeze lost years, <laughs> where I understand that you were trained in negotiation by some of the same people who trained Chris Voss, a uh, mm-hmm. master negotiator. Um, I don't know if you studied directly under, who was it, Bandler and.
1: I did, but both Bandler and Grinder, who took um, the work of Virginia Satir and Milton Erickson and signed, kind of synthesized that into NLP, which I think has a bad name, but NLP as it was originally uh, designed, was a way of modeling excellence, and then trying to reproduce it. Uh, in this particular case, in the early days of NLP, they were modeling really great communicators, two really great communicators and persuaders and therapists. So uh, in the early days, when I was being trained directly by them, um, I, I really honed those skills that I had learned as a kid. And then I also, I don't know if you know this or not, but I was also trained as an interrogator, which was, so So I found that the techniques of the interrogator and the hostage negotiator had, if you drew a Venn diagram of what made them good, there was a big overlapping skill set and technique set there. So I got practice uh, at these things in a variety of contexts.
0: Well, they both technically are negotiating. Mm Mm-hmm. You just you're, have you're a, a limited options in the interrogation. You're really negotiating a very narrow window of uh, of things that are going to happen or not. That's a
1: very good way of looking at it.
0: So, okay, I just wanted to establish some of well, what who's this Dave Freeze guy?
1: Yeah, who is
0: this guy? This this remote <laughs> viewer guy from the '80s. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Like the staring at goats, yeah. I uh, I have there's movies made about two things that I did in my life: the staring at goats movies, and then at close range because I also, when I was working as an attorney, worked on a mass murder case, uh, and, and and it was just the craziest case. And a movie was made about it. Madonna did the theme song because she was dating Sean Penn at the time, who played the lead role. So was I've it that prefer- case itself, or just one yeah. similar? Yeah, no, that case itself. The movie At Close Range is made uh, based on the case that I worked on, where, among other things, the guys who were being tried for these murders threatened to regularly shoot and kill the judge and lots of other people involved in the case. So I've led a I've led a blessed life.
0: Yes, you have. This is a guy who can give Jocko Willink a call and have him appear at a conference.
1: And I just came across a picture because Jocko, I think, spoke at a conference of mine three or four years ago. And I just found a picture of the two of us laughing hysterically together. And as as a person you and I both know pointed out, the OODA loop was in the back. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Gee, who was that?
0: Um, yeah. And really, the OODA loop is literally the what you're talking about doing here, right? Mm-hmm. With the mm-hmm. uh, force multipliers. And very quickly, describe the OODA loop.
1: Okay, so uh, two things, two pieces of what you just said. A force multiplier is a tool, in this case, a skill or a mindset or a technique that we're going to reveal to people that makes them more powerful. So the example I gave in one of our interviews was night vision. Uh, Night vision makes you more powerful than an enemy that doesn't have night vision, especially if you can engage them at night. And so... These tools that we're going to teach make you better at virtually everything you do in virtually every one of your roles that you have in life. So that's a force multiplier. The OODA loop uh, was taught to, it was developed by Colonel Boyd to train fighter pilots in fighting the MIG. And what happens is you observe, you orient, you decide, and then you act. So you look around, you see what your options are, you decide what to do, and then you do it. That changes the reality on the ground. In communication, if you do some of these things we're going to teach you, it's going to change the perspective of the person that you're talking to. And all of these things are rooted in human biology, Eric, so that they are highly successful and they work almost all of the time. Uh, You may or may not get the result you're expecting all the time, but they're working at some level all the time. So the OODA loop is where we go back again and we say, okay, I observed, I oriented. I chose my action and then I took my action, I decided that I acted. It changed the reality in the air on the ground in the battle space of communication. And now I'm observing again because I'm gonna go back and do it again. Was the thing I did enough? Did I change their mind? Did I change their perspective? Did I put a chink in the armor? So you are correct that really great communicators and leaders realize you don't just use one technique. You don't just give one piece of evidence. You just don't just make one argument. You just you don't just pretend to agree. You have to do a lot of these things. You have to find a place where you really agree. You have to use tools that to change the way that the person looks at it. But you have to constantly be cycling back through it like Colonel Boyd was teaching those fighter pilots. That's actually just one quick one. When mm-hmm. uh, Jocko first came into the room, not everybody was there. Just Jocko and I were there. And there was a big OODA loop, which you saw on a on a, a whiteboard, I think, in the background. He mm-hmm. walked up, and he had that Jocko, you know, bolt upright posture. And uh, he looked at it, and he said, good.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, Jocko's known for his subtlety.
1: Yes. <laughs>
0: wow. Okay. He's like a walking muscle. Muscle.
1: He really is.
0: Okay. So let's start rolling into it. Mm-hmm. 10 items. What's number one?
1: Well, so I'm going to talk a little bit about this mindset stuff before I give you the first one, just cool. so it makes sense. So great communicators, and this will sound very basic to people. They have an, an outcome that they want to happen. Mm-hmm. They have clarity about that, but they also know what they'll do. Just like a good negotiator knows that there's a point at which they may not reach negotiation a negotiated mm-hmm. conclusion. Uh, A really good communicator knows that they may or may not get what they want, so they better have clarity about what happens if they don't. So when you're going into a negotiation or when you're going into a conversation with a child thinking about an important decision like college, have clarity about what you want to happen because then you can mentally test. How specific,
0: sorry to interrupt on that, but how specific a clarity are you talking about? Are you, are you really shooting for, I want this exact thing to come out or are you shooting for a range?
1: So I, I start with the exact thing. But I also have a range to answer your question in a bizarre way. So like when I do goal setting, uh, I could say I want a 10 percent increase in my profit by December 31st. And that's Mm going to if I ask my brain that question, it's going to look for ways to get me a 10 percent increase by December 31st. But if I say to my brain, I want a 10 percent or greater increase in profit Mm -hmm. by December 31st or sooner, I'm asking, this is a goal setting methodology that I've developed. I'm asking my brain to do something completely different, but better. I've opened the range. So I want to have a clear uh, outcome that I'd be really happy with, because then I could say, I want to have at least this come out of this conversation or more. And I want that result to occur by the end of this conversation or sooner, or if the conversation and the negotiation is going to be ongoing over some period of time, I might say I want it to happen by the end of the week or sooner. So, yes, to both your questions, Re- something really specific that has all the aspects of what I'd really love to happen mm. and the possibility, be open to the possibility that I might actually take something less or more and that I- it might happen in a, a faster time frame that I've set for myself and for that negotiation or that communication. I mean, we're talking about casual communication, but in a mm. way. That's all communication is a manipulation. We've said this before. It's just your intent. It's are you trying to make somebody laugh? Are you trying to educate them? Are you trying to get them to take actions that are for their benefit, not just purely for yours? So um, do you,
0: you don't separate then manipulation from persuasion, let's say, because a lot of people feel manipulation immediately gets Machiavellian versus mm-hmm. persuasion. And I think they're all on a spectrum anyway. I'm just curious
1: They are. I I deliberately use the word when I'm teaching this uh, manipulation so that we could get past that. Because at some point when you're teaching these things, like once we get into one through 10, people are going to go, geez, that's highly manipulative. Of course it is. But, uh, you know, you could either do communication the easy way or the hard way. You could get people to look at something from a new perspective or not. And so I just like them to get used to the idea that. It is manipulative. We're trying to manipulate somebody to laugh when we tell them a joke. And we could soften it and say that we're trying to be influential or persuasive. But I like people to get past that so that they are focused on, do I have a a clean and good intent here? Am I really trying to find out what this person needs out of this as well as me?
0: Okay. So is that to label or or label it and give ownership? Like you Mm -hmm. are manipulating somebody. Mm -hmm. What is your intent? What is your outcome? So if,
1: if it goes awry, then you did this. Yes. And we, if it is manipulation, let's just call it what it is. Let's not pretend it's called persuasion or influence. And to be fair to you, those are manipulation, persuasion, influence. They're on a spectrum. Usually I'm sort of collapsing it and just making people think exactly what you just said, which is I'm at cause here and I'm responsible. So I better be clear that I'm trying to do something that's yes, good for me, but really good for them as well. So in a negotiation, I should be finding things that I could give them that are of high value to them that don't matter to me. And where I'm trying to convince a child to do something that's good for them, I should make sure that it really is and that there aren't better alternatives. And that requires me to dig deeper with them. In our last, not, maybe not our last interview, but the one before, we talked about that, where we could just ask them a question and accept their answer But we said, oh, that's kind of a a lie. People will just tell you the surface story that they're telling themselves. So it's important to say, okay, that makes sense to me. What else? And, Mm -hmm. And go deeper and deeper and deeper because only then are we going to be really equipped to know what the other person wants and needs out of the exchange or the communication or the negotiation. The great communicators have a heightened level of acuity, meaning that they're really paying attention to everything, like how is the message they're conveying being received by the other person? And then how are they reacting? Is their voice going up? Is the speed with which they're talking? Are they becoming agitated? They Because if they're aware not only of what the other person's doing and how they're reacting, but how they are, they're going to be much more in control of their ability to change from a tactic that's not working to a, a try another one to see if it's working. Mm-hmm. So they, they kind of cultivate that in themselves. And one of the things that you and I talked about um, off air, I think, is that Um, negotiators and interrogators often have a second or a third. Even more.
0: Chris Voss, um, I've had him on. He was uh, the top – well, he led all negotiation for the FBI for a while at the Mm -hmm. Behavioral Science Unit. And I think it was – I don't know if it was science or analysis while he was there. Maybe it was both. It kind of went back and forth. But he actually had seven people. And it was people who listened, people who watched, people Mm -hmm. who – I would imagine you would also want people watching you, because mm-hmm. gotcha. you're throwing signals. I'll, while I'm talking to you right now, I'm throwing signals. They're
1: most aggressive, aggressive.
0: Oh, absolutely! You're, you're I'm trying, I'm to, trying to, to intimidate <laughs> you. you. You'll get Jocko on me. Uh, <laughs> I, I make sure I keep you on the other end of that video <laughs> where I'm safe. No, um, so I, I, I imagine that. You wanted to look into all of these. I know that to this day his son is a, an observer
1: for him, mm-hmm. and and the reason is that when we're engaged in a a negotiation, a hostage negotiation, interrogation, uh, if we're good. We're really good at reading that situation and being aware of ourselves, but we don't have the bandwidth to see everything that the other people could see. We have a mutual friend that if he doesn't have a second or a third or in Chris Voss's case, a seventh, um, he uses, uh, audio or and or video recording so sure. that he can sure. uh, go back and observe those things and learn from them. So, um, th- there are many more, uh, mindset. Tools of people who are great communicators and some of those we talked about before and they make the force multiplying effect stronger but I know you're dying to get into the uh, like the tent so that we can charge through them you, you don't need to have me back again which would be helpful
0: <laughs> well we may have you back in uh, for a live stream or other people could ask you um, questions about it but, sure you know, I can
1: make stuff up and tell them stories too well yeah that's to be expected <laughs> So number 1. Okay, number 1 is a tool of preframing an idea. So this uh, a quote would be like kind of the formula would be one of the many things you're really going to love about X or you know might be what we do is Y. So when we talk about one of the many things that presupposes that there are lots and lots and lots mm-hmm. of them. So we're using presupposition to get their brain rolling. Oh, one of the many things I'm going to love about working, well, look, one of the many things I'm going to love about being on Eric's podcast is that I'm going to go deeper. I'm going to explore things in a new way. It's going to trigger me to be more creative in what it is that I do and what I teach. So when you are saying this to somebody, one of the many things you're really going to love about what I do or the product that I create or the class that I teach is, and you list one or two, you're, Using presupposition to pre-frame the situation so that they're scanning for things that they will love To mm-hmm. understand the biology of this you have to understand <clears throat> the reticular activating system Which is our sensory organs are getting way more data than we could consciously think about at any time So part of our brain is designed to open a door and let certain important ideas in or call our attention to things that might be dangerous and that's the reticular activating system or things that might be super pleasant. So what we're doing with this is pre-framing or priming the pump to have people start thinking, this is something that I'm really going to get pleasure from or enjoy, or I'm going to love. So again, the formula is one or of the many. reverse. Yes. Or exactly. In other words, if you have to convince somebody not to do something, mm-hmm. you could do exactly the reverse. Oh, you're super smart.
0: Oh gosh. One of the things you're really going to hate about smoking yes. is women won't want to get near you because there's smell all over you and it wafts when you walk in the room.
1: And so the reticular activating system is having them scan through. What are the other things that I hate about being a smoker? Mm-hmm. So I love that. Also so, being repulsive. Uh, yes. It's kind so, of a double layered angle. It, that. It, exactly. It could be used on either end and, I love using techniques both ways, so like the 80-20 rule. I'm constantly looking at who are the clients that are coming to see me that are the best and that are really profitable and they're really happy with me. And then the flip side of that is um, uh, how who are the clients that come to me that are really problematic and difficult to deal with, so I can create a profile of each and I know who to attract more and I know who to repulse with these kind of techniques you're talking about. So every one of these techniques that we're gonna talk about here I would, I love for people to do what you just did and say, how can I use that in one way? And how can I use that in another way? And and it's great to think about all the contexts in which you can use these, which is why I wanted to start out by like talking about the roles, you know. You're a better parent. You're a better leader of an organization or of your church or whatever it might be. You're a better trainer. If you're training people in your business, you're a uh, you know, you're a better marketer. All of these things could be used if anybody owns a business or a professional practice in uh, making their marketing way more effective. So each one of these things could be used to design headlines for blog articles or ads or any of those kind of things as well. So the more we you and I open the reticular activating system uh, to have the unconscious mind looking for ways that people can use these. I mean, that's the real trick. The real trick is that we're all good at all of these communication techniques we're going to talk about. We just don't use them very often. When we do, we usually go, wow, I just met this person. I have a really good bond with them right away. They want to buy my product. It's fantastic. We think it's an accident. It's not an accident. We're doing these kinds of things. So one of the things I have as a goal for your audience is I'm implanting the idea through the language patterns that we're using here that they could just find one, two, three of these. They don't have to use them all. Just become a little bit better at them. And just use them in a few more, a few more, a few more times, and in a few more places, and you'll become a way better communicator. I mean, if you just got to yes in negotiations ten or twenty percent more often, I mean, think how much better your life would be.
0: Interesting. I don't know if this is a side note or not, but I feel like if you have the mindset of using this, for example, mm-hmm. the preframing, um, you in effect are training yourself through frequency bias, and yes. by that I, I mean. If you buy a car, and let's say it's a Toyota Camry, everywhere you look is now a Toyota Camry.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: They're everywhere. It looks like everybody just bought them yesterday. Well, they didn't just buy them yesterday. It's just now your your vision has broadened in spectrum, and mm-hmm. you see it, so then you see it everywhere. Well, if mm-hmm. you have a mindset and how you can explain something to other people, then you're starting to shift your own perspective on the world to say, if I look at it this way... It will have these other five benefits or 10 benefits because I'm reframing. You're reframing it for yourself in order to display it to someone else.
1: And to your earlier point about using it in a different way, uh, we could get good at using this when we communicate with other people and we'll become more aware. Of when it's being used on us now because it's buried deep like the reticular activating system is buried deep in the unconscious mind so these things work even when you're aware of them I could give you example after example where people have used them on me probably unconsciously and I have caught them and said "Ooh, that's shrewd I like what they're doing but I still (laughs) go along with it because it works just like story I mean Mm -hmm. story works because all of us who are descendant from who live now are descended from people who are really good at listening to stories. It's how we were told where to go and live and and where to get clean water and how to avoid predators. So the people who are bad at listening to stories, their parents got, you know, they got eaten. They never had babies. Our, you know, predecessors in human history were good at listening to stories. So it's buried deep inside our biology, as are all of these. It's why they work so well. But it's also why we have a great responsibility to use them with a good intent.
0: Well, that rolls into number two then.
1: Yes. Now, this one is highly manipulative. I put it up front so people go like, well, that seems just like you're helping people to look at it a different way. Number one, you're helping them to preframe it. Number two is just straight out manipulation. So be aware that when you use number two, you want to use it where you've really thought this out. So the technique looks like this. Fact, 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 and the thing that may be harder to believe. So the idea is... When you give people facts that are clearly observable and with which they automatically agree, mm-hmm. and then follow up with something that's less clear or more of an opinion, the brain is now in a pattern of acceptance and is more likely to accept that. So uh, an example would be, you're sitting here now, listening to me on this podcast, you're breathing in and out, and you're starting to relax now already, aren't you? So you we're saying you're sitting here. You're on a podcast. You're listening to me. You're breathing in and out. Those are all just verifiable. And you're starting to relax now, aren't you? So we've tagged something on there that's not really a fact, but we're in the mode of going, yeah, I, I really am sort of relaxing now, aren't I? Um, there's another technique in there called the tag question that we'll get to. So here's how it might be used in um promoting a business or something. Migraine headaches are, de- uh, are devastatingly painful. Anybody that's had one knows that. There are drugs to deal with them, but they have many side effects. So we went fact, fact, fact. Nobody's gonna refute any of those. But some people have discovered a natural way to cure or avoid them. So we're not saying we have if we're the drug company, we're just saying some people have. That's likely to cause acceptance of the idea that some people have done that. And now the mind is more open to the idea that you might be one of them and is at least open to hearing about how the methodology or the the natural uh, remedy that you've created would do that. Another one would be selling more products can be stressful and people seem harder and harder to reach or impress. But there are scientifically proven ways to catch your prospect's attention, build trust faster. And sell to them with higher levels of customer satisfaction. So if I were selling business people and coming to a program of mine, I might say that, you know, to salespeople selling more of your product or service can be stressful. Yeah, they'd agree with that. And people seem harder and harder to reach or impress. Yeah, that's true. But there are scientifically proven ways to catch your prospects attention, build trust and sell. So three things they really want. They're not necessarily established facts, but they want them. And we've yeah. equate them to the unconscious mind with verifiable facts. So this one more highly manipulative, but extremely powerful and a very useful way to think about presenting, beginning to present information to people and to give them a foundation to believe what you're going to say and to trust what you're going to say.
0: And it starts to feed into the confirmation bias and things like that too, I would think.
1: Mm-hmm. It does. It does. And so most people aren't aware of confirmation bias. They can't be. That's why it's there. Meaning that uh, confirmation bias is just uh, a shortcut to navigating a complicated world. And it's right lots of times, but it's wrong lots of times. So if you want to overcome, you know, that, that sort of cognitive bias in various situations, you have to really build some habits that are different than the kind of automatic robot responses we give. Um, but this does play to that. And confirmation bias is is a tool that you'll see throughout these. I have a third one if you want it.
0: Absolutely.
1: So uh, this is inserting ideas. So sometimes we have an idea. We want to change the perspective of the person that we're talking to on a particular thing. But we don't want to uh, maybe make them feel like this is us saying it. So the pattern here is they said blank. So in this case, you're just reporting what somebody else said. So there's nothing for the conscious mind to resist yet. The person
0: you're speaking with or just a third party?
1: Yeah, the person you're speaking with, you don't want to, you're going to attribute what you're about to say to a third party. They said this, but you don't want the person you're speaking to to necessarily associate that with you yet. Mm -hmm. You just want to introduce the idea that will give them examples. So you could say my friend Joe said to me, uh, enjoy all the moments of your life all the time. Now that might work with that person. They would go, yeah, Joe's smart. Or they might go, that just sounds like pablum. Joe is stupid, but you're not Joe. Like, <laughs> so that you've got a little distance where you test this. Um, so you, you had mentioned anchoring once when I was a comedian, I noticed that a very famous comedian that went who was young and wasn't famous yet went on. She, she became much more famous than me. It was Rosie O'Donnell, yeah. and she would do this thing and then she would walk back to the same place on the stage and make this gesture and people would laugh and they laughed and laughed and laughed. And every time she went back there, they would laugh and laugh and laugh. So I would mimic that if I went on after her and I would use that same spot. I'd go there and I'd do that thing and they would laugh and laugh and laugh.
0: It's the same thing. <laughs> so now, I, it,
1: that's like trend jacking. It is. It rolled
0: into us.
1: <laughs> but also if I went there and I did something and the audience groaned, I would step away and gesture to my, to where I just was and go, that guy's an ass <laughs> because now I've created some space. That's what this technique does. You could test things out or start the persuasive process here without you being responsible for it. Um, it, it, would, it an example in hypnosis would be, it's easy for you to drop into a nice and relaxed state or a, a friend of mine and his old boss, 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 both used to say to me, it's easy for you to drop into a nice and relaxed state and to feel better more quickly when you're solving these problems. So again, you're not giving them a command to do that. You're telling them about something that somebody told you. Mm. And so it's very, very, uh, it's a very, very powerful, super simple technique. One more example would be one of my teachers said to me that it's easy to learn to use hypnotic language patterns to get amazing results. So Mm. I did. And maybe you can, too. So, again, we're working on the unconscious mind with this. But it's the they said XYZ concept that gives you a little bit of space to test things out. And if somebody reacts really positively to something they said, then you could say something else that they said. And if they react positively again, then you could start to say stuff yourself. This makes, me,
0: this makes me think of like a Zig Ziglar type or, or an old Southern. My pappy always
1: said. that's exactly right zig was using this technique it's a very common technique used by great persuaders and great salespeople because if i tell you this vacuum cleaner works really well i i've got a dog in the hunt i'm trying to sell you a vacuum cleaner Mm -hmm. but if your six neighbors told me stories about how well it worked i'm just telling you what they said So there's a very different way in which those two pieces of information are processed and totally different levels of skepticism that people bring to them. But again, if somebody reacts badly to it, it's okay. It's just one of the neighbors. They can (laughs) say, well, I hate Joe. And you can say, well, it wasn't just Joe. Or your you pappy was
0: a drunk uh, anyway. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I would say, like, what about Bob and Sue from across the street? Oh, yeah, I like them. Well, they love this thing, too. You could just ask them. So, you see, this is a very powerful tool because it gives you the opportunity to test things out, to create space, to identify who they do like, and then to transition over to you talking to them about it in the same way and you giving them that advice. So Number four. Number four. It, I call it because – the technique okay. is blank because now for those who have read Cialdini, you'll know that there's science, good science on this. There's good science on all of these, by the way, but Cialdini specifically addresses this in the book. Um, and yeah, the influence. Influence. Correct. And the example that he gives is a study that was done at a photocopier machine, oh, yeah. a long line. And there, you know, there's somebody who's not a plant And Mm -hmm. the person who's a plant comes up to them and says, can I get in front of you now um, because I have to make a copy?
0: Right. That's where they landed. They started off by saying, because I'm in a hurry or because I have an emergency. And then they kept redoing the study over and over and finally just went to the absolute ridiculous of, "Yes, can I jump in front of you because I'm making a copy?
1: And probably, although they never did it, they could just say because. Because apparently that triggers the brain to say, okay, there's a good reason following. I'll just agree to it in advance because I know I'm going to. Let's just make this a shorter transaction. Well,
0: because in a silence would be powerful because everybody hates silence anyway. So if I said because and stared at them, (laughs) it would be probably even more powerful.
1: It it might be. It wasn't in the study, but I've often thought that I would like to see what happened if we just did this and said, like, I – Can I get in front of you because? And then just like leave that space out there and see what happens. I I think it could be equally effective. So, a couple of examples would be um, you know, you can learn to use these techniques because you have an unconscious mind and they work at the unconscious level. So, you'll notice I'm using an unconscious technique to show people that they can learn and apply these techniques. But there are other examples too. You could start making the changes you want in your life right now because you've waited long enough, haven't you? So that would be in a therapeutic context where this would would be used, where somebody, a therapist might say, you could start making the changes you want in your life right now because you've waited long enough, haven't you? Well, that's not really a, a reason, but because, because they're followed by a reason. And then again, we use the tag question, which we'll get to in a little bit. Um, you can enjoy learning these patterns very easily because even as a child, you learn to speak and you don't even know how you did it. So you could start using them more easily than you ever thought possible. Now, can't you? So suggesting to people that they since they were babies have been developing mm-hmm. ways to learn things without ever even thinking about it is a very powerful tool so that if they were skeptical about their ability to use these things, we are he- heading straight at. Popping that skepticism with the because technique, but at a very uh, it's hard to argue with that You can't say no, I didn't learn to speak you're speaking So you did learn to speak as a child and you didn't know how you did it So this is a very cunning technique here and very powerful and it works at the unconscious level very elegantly
0: All right, and that rolls into tag questions
1: Yes, and you'll notice that we've been using them. So now we can kind of explain them Blank isn't it? So it's good, isn't it? A tag question is something that you put at the end. So you're going to have been working on persuading them about something. You're going to talk about that thing and you're going to say that's good or you understand it, don't you? That's really useful, isn't it? So here's what happens. You generally speaking, only get one response to the tag question. You They go, yeah, meaning it is good. It's easy to use. Yeah. Or or you'll see in the body language that they agree with that or no. Now that means that that's equally valuable intelligence. That means if you've been working on trying to convince them of something and they're not in agreement yet, you can ask them other questions like what would have to happen in order for you to feel completely sure and certain that you could use these things now. So if the answer is yes, I agree with the tag question, and you see congruency between the words they're using and their body language and their facial posture, good, victory, uh, accomplished, move on. Don't sell past the close. Mm-hmm. But if they are giving you pushback, you know you've got some more work to do, and you can use a bunch of these other techniques as you go.
0: What about the boss's reverse of getting them to a no? What's that? What about the reverse of boss of getting them to a no? So, yeah, so this a t- tag not, question yeah, might not, be… So is there any reason why you wouldn't want to do this?
1: Mm -hmm. And so Voss is getting them to a no is usually done early on. That's not inconsistent with this. It's to give them the idea that they have some power that they know you might want them to say yes to a thing, but you're just giving them the ability to say no to something that you know is probably unimportant even in the negotiation or where you're headed with this. So in terms of the syntax, getting them to know would probably be sooner than this. but this could also trigger if you used it early on, it could trigger the no. And so you might say, are you completely sure about this or or you're completely sure about this now already, aren't you? And if they go, no, I'm not sure about that at all. You can say, good. That's what I was hoping, because there's a lot of things we have to think about and talk about yet. So that's where you would use a tag question deliberately to trigger an early no to give them permission to make them feel like they're being heard and there's power. But generally speaking, where we're looking to see. Did we did we uh, get to where we want to be yet? That would be a little bit further along in the persuasion. But remember, this could be in the space of a five minute long conversation mm-hmm. We were give them an early chance to say no. And then when we got to the end where we thought, like, OK, I think where we need to be, we, we might say, are you completely sure and certain that you can do this or you're completely sure and certain you could do this by Tuesday? Right. Or aren't you or Are you and they're all tag questions and you're going to get the answer of whether they are so if somebody goes You you need them to do this thing by Tuesday their job depends on it and they go No I'm not completely sure of that Then the next question is one from one of our earlier interviews where you would say "Well, what would have to change or what would we have to do differently in order for you to feel Completely sure and certain right now that you'd be able to do that by next Tuesday because you're trying to get them to keep their job in this case and get this thing done Mm -hmm. and often People will go from like, no, I'm not sure to, well, I would just need to do this or that. And then they are sure. And you see that change come across them. Okay. So that's a little echo back to one of our earlier ones. But tag questions are really good to to uh, sort of sort that out. Um, you know, so a, a couple more examples. Uh, it's good to just start and feel better whenever you want to, isn't it? Now, most people aren't going to say no to that. They're going to say Yes. So you've implanted, like if somebody's stressed out and you want them to be able to make a choice to feel better, so this would be one from a sort of therapeutic context, you could say it's good, especially if you notice them relaxing a little bit based on something you'd say. You could say it's good, isn't it, to just start to feel better whenever you want to. So there you're making this observation or you're making the statement based on an observation. You're seeing them relax a little bit. You're telling them the the, the underlying uh, sort of implanted idea here is you can make a choice to feel better.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, um, it's useful to practice these patterns while you're having a great day. And even as you sleep and dream, isn't it? So we're suggesting that it's good to use them when you're in a resourceful state and we're sort of presupposing and stating that you can do it and practice them even as you sleep and dream. Now, somebody could say, Well, no, I I don't know if I could practice them when you sleep and dream, or they might just nod yes, because it, you know, they already accept that. So this is really good at introducing ideas and testing as to whether or not they've uh, gotten to the point where they can adopt them.
0: All right. And next, I think, is triggering action.
1: Yes. Triggering action. Another favorite of mine. So a person may not know X. So, um... And you might use, instead of a person, you might use you. So you might not know X, Y, or Z. But when you use you, just be prepared because you're personalizing it more. Whereas if you say a person might not, you're not even speaking directly to them. You're talking about a third party. So... Um, An example might be a person, if we're gonna talk about these language patterns, a person might find these patterns emerging in many aspects of their communication and even in negotiations. So another way to do it would be to start with a person might find these patterns emerging in many aspects of, and then shift over your communication and even in your negotiations. Mm -hmm. Because we took it from this sort of, at the start, this neutral third party, and then we shifted over kind of quietly to your communications and negotiations. So we're trying to trigger them to realize that in this case, they might have a resource that they don't even know of, or that they aren't aware of. Um, I'm sure you've seen this in people. I've seen this people in people that work with me on teams that work for me, where they have all this power, they have all this ability, but they don't feel like they do, or they apply only in one case or in one context where they're great uh, on Sunday at church in the choir. They're like a superstar, but they're a quiet, cowering mouse uh, in the office. So Mm -hmm. this is a way of getting them to recognize a person may not know that they're able to do these things, you know, that they do here over in this place here.
0: Hmm. Okay. Makes sense? Sure. Now that leads into number seven, even more technique.
1: Yeah, I I love this one. I use this one all the time. So uh, when I was preparing this list of 10 about a year and a half ago, um, (laughs) (laughs) because we thought we were going to talk about these then, but we got we went down a rabbit hole, although that was a fantastic rabbit hole. It was really good Uh, for those uh, for for folks listening to this episode that have never heard that episode. it, It was good. I listened to it. So when I was going through these, I had to really stop and kind of catch myself and say, which of these are some of my favorites? And I went back to some courses I taught and looked at if I had to 80, 20, these, Mm -hmm. which are some of these patterns that are super easy to learn, to use and get really good results. So these 10, I would say are 10 of my favorites. They're either super easy to learn and get good results, or even if they're a little bit harder to learn, they get fantastic results very consistently. So um, this is uh, even more. So by the time you started to X, you'll Y. So let me just see here. I'll give you an example. By the time you started to hear these patterns cropping up in your everyday way of speaking, you'll really know that you've learned them well and can use them successfully. So we're calling their attention to something that we know will happen. So if we're training somebody to use a new computer system, you'll say, okay, by the time you get done the first day and you can enter these things, you'll already be able to achieve these results. Mm -hmm. So taking something we know is going to happen and we're tagging on all kinds of other things, even more things that they'll get. Mm -hmm. So by the time you realize that you've learned to paint um, pretty well, which may even be by the end of today. You'll have realized how relaxing it is, how good it makes you feel about yourself, how much enjoyment you get from it. So we take a thing we know is going to happen and we tack on three or four or five things that we know because we've gotten to know this person. and We've asked them a bunch of questions that they want. So if we just try to get them things that we want, that's not as good as if we're trying to get them more things that we know they want. Now it's okay if we're in business or if we're selling to tag on some stuff. So by the time you realize how much you, so if you were selling a a car with an outstanding stereo system, you could say by the time you finish the um, test drive and you realize how incredible the sound system is, you'll already be thinking about enjoying great music on the way to work every day. Mm -hmm. Um, Being in a happier state of mind when you get home. Uh, all of the incredible pleasures your spouse or uh, partner will bestow upon you because you're in such a happy mood, you know, <laughs> what I mean. um, so that we this is a way of amplifying what it is that we want them to get out of this for themselves. And often there's a benefit for us, too. So we have to make sure that if we're going to get a benefit out of this, we should make sure that they are that we're triggering these other benefits from them. So something we know is going to happen will trigger even more for them.
0: Okay. And does that lead into the imagination technique? Because you seem to be feeding imagination through what you just said.
1: Yes. All of these techniques are using imagination to fuel either a change of perspective, a new way of looking at things, uh, identifying more resources that they have that we're using their imagination to do all of these things. Just like we do great communicators use story to do that as well. So, um, there are things that people haven't imagined and there are things that they say they can't imagine but just by introducing it the biology is such like so if i say don't think of the color blue we talked about this in one of the earlier ones you have to think of the color blue in order to understand the sentence when i say can you imagine x you must imagine it in order to understand the sentence so if we're carrying on a conversation and we've identified certain things that this person wants or needs or desires or would make them happy, then we can say, can you imagine that thing that perhaps up until now they haven't? Um, this relates to something else. Like A lot of times people will say, well, I can't imagine that because I'm in this pain. And so what I start to do when they do that is I refer to the bad thing or the painful thing in the past. I say, yeah, I know. Up until now, you felt that way. But. Can you imagine from this point on the thing? So just by referring to the pain in the past tense, people look at in a different way so when we're in the thick of a situation we tend to be seeing it in color and it's moving and we're engaged in it we hear all kinds of sound when we think about something in the past it's typically blurrier and more distant and not the same level of sound or Mm. all the same modalities aren't there so by distancing it by referring to it in the past we often uh disassociate get them to disassociate from it a little bit and that opens their imagination up to being receptive to things that they wouldn't have been so we kind of combine two techniques there. But an example would be, um, so the example would be, can you imagine going into the deepest and most relaxed trance or state you've ever experienced? Hopefully people are driving when they're listening to this podcast <laughs> well. and getting exactly the profound changes you wanted or even more than those. So uh, another simpler one would be, can you imagine waking up to find that this problem had already disappeared? So mm. people who are in a problem, they tend not to think of that. But but they realize there are times when they had a problem and they woke up the next day and it wasn't a problem anymore. So by triggering this, we're having them think about it from a totally new perspective and we're getting them open to the idea that that could happen. And so we could explore things. So if we say, can you imagine uh, waking up to find that this problem had already disappeared? They're either going to say, "Yeah, no, I can't. But you could see that maybe they had just done it because they have to. So we've put a chink in the armor. But even if they say, no, I can't. Then I would use these other kind of techniques we talked about and say, okay, what would have to change about what's happening or what we're thinking about it? What would have to change that's within our control right now in order for you to be able to imagine it disappearing overnight or within the next week or within the next two weeks? What would have to change? So we're asking them what would have to change in order for them just to be able to imagine it. But Mm -hmm. that will get them to the things that really have to change for them to get there. And notice that we put them at cause and we tell them to think about the things that they were in control of. So much human agony comes from people trying to change things they're not in control of or right. linking their happiness to the behavior of another person. And if we link our happiness to the behavior of another person, we don't really control hmm. them. We can, with these techniques, we can make dents in it. We can change it a little bit. We can be more persuasive a little bit faster, but we don't control though these other people. In fact, we're still just letting, we're, we're controlling what they put into the computer to think about, but they're doing the thinking.
0: Yeah, oh, that makes sense. And that leads into number nine. We're getting through, eventually.
1: Well, nine, Now, some of your listeners might or might not know, but I was trained at an Ivy League school to be a trust and estates lawyer. And so this one I've used for many, many, many years because it's the nature of my job that I am meeting with people who are in significant grief a lot of time and they can't understand why this thing would happen. But the eventually technique is very powerful in dealing with grief or lots of other things. So if, when people are in a situation where things are difficult or they are in grief and they can't understand what's going on and why, they are incapable of recognizing what's within their control or not. Um, those are very powerful and emotional images and ways of thinking about things. But you could say eventually you'll find ways to make sense of all these events. Now, you're letting them be on their own timeline. And I sometimes will add, I don't know if that's already started to happen or if that's going to happen tonight as you finally wind down as you sleep and dream or if that will take months. Even you don't know that yet, which presupposes that they will. But I've also inject interjected the idea there that it may be on a shorter timeline than they think. And the other thing is I like to suggest when I'm using the eventually technique that they might start to notice small or incremental changes that are triggering that. So I might say eventually you'll be able to find ways to make sense of this. And even tomorrow you might notice little things that are leading you to know and understand that how you feel about this now is changing already, isn't it? So we used like four techniques there. So uh, calling their attention to the fact, getting them to recognize that little things they might just gloss over are, in fact, telling them that they're already making progress is very uh, uh, powerful. So eventually you'll use these patterns easily and they'll be super effective for you. That'll be mm-hmm. another one about these patterns. Eventually you'll use these patterns uh, easily and they'll be effective for you. And I don't know if you'll start feeling natural using them tomorrow or if that might take a week or two but you'll find out and you'll begin to notice the things they're telling you you're getting better and better at them now, aren't you? So there's a bunch more together. So uh, I love that technique because it lets people let go for a moment of the pain or the discomfort or the barriers that they're experiencing. And it gives them a sense of hope. And when we combine it with that other technique I was mentioning to you, it it almost always results in them noticing things they'd have glossed over before and wouldn't have attributed any meaning to.
0: Dave, this has been fantastic. I have a live stream. I'd love to entertain the idea of your possibly coming on and having people ask you questions there.
1: I I would be happy to do that. I'd love it. Um, I'll probably just make stuff up, though, in the answers. I won't Eh. tell them truth. I always tell people, you don't have to believe anything I say. Just check it out and decide for yourself whether it's true or not.
0: All right. Now in the interim, where can people find you?
1: So, um, if people are interested in learning more about force multipliers, I have a small business group and they can call Lisa at 610-933-8069. That is, um, you know, contrary to all modern technology, but we like to just have a conversation and make sure we're a good match for anybody that's coming into that. Um, but you can follow me on Facebook, David M. Freeze, F-R-E-E-S, and um, on Instagram, D-M-F-I-I-I. David, thank you
0: so much for coming on.
1: Eric, thank you for putting up with me over and over and over again.
0: Thanks for listening. And if you like what you heard, please consider subscribing for free. And I mean for free. It is always free. There's no billing, anything else. You can subscribe in your player of choice, which is probably right in your hands. Or you can go to unstructuredpod.com. And there are plenty of links there. Thank you so much. And in the spirit of sharing, here's a couple more shows you may want to check out. What Was That
1: Like? might just be the most intriguing podcast you'll ever hear. Each episode is a conversation with a regular person who's been through an extremely unusual situation. Like Jeremy, who was bitten by a rattlesnake. Or Jennifer, who accidentally killed someone. Or Luke, who got caught smuggling cocaine. Real people in unreal situations Listen and subscribe at whatwasthatlike.com.
0: Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Brett Allen, and I am the host of the Open Mic Podcast, where no topic is off limits. Here at the Open Mic, we talk to many different people. We talk to celebrities, entrepreneurs, psychics, celebrities, and everything in between. I would like to encourage you to listen and subscribe. You can learn more about the show at theopenmicpodcast.net. Again, thank you so much. Until next time, cheers and be well.